Hey everybody, this is Michael Sadler Saga, and this is Sonic Dorms. So my name is Max, and this is Sonic Dorms. On today's show, I have a very special guest, long awaited uh, for me uh, in this particular case. His name is Michael Sadler, phenomenal vocalist of the band Saga and many other projects, including his latest endeavor in a band called Project, which involves uh, his tribute uh, to all sorts of progressive rock acts throughout the 70s, uh, a lot that are favorites of mine, including Yes and Genesis, early Genesis in particular. So with that being said, thank you for taking the time to do this with me today, Michael. It's really an absolute honor. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Trust me. All right. Thank you. So one of the biggest things for me as a... um, as just a general fan of, of your work is your storyline. And, and to me, it really is an absolute indication of perseverance. To me, the band saga is the musical in a, a musical embodiment of right. persevering in a music industry that um, as many probably know music, the music industry itself, as it once was, and even today, whatever exists of it, has been very up and down and comes and goes in waves and cycles and never, it's very unpredictable. So the fact that the band and artists such as yourself continue or would continue to play the game in their own way and take it all in stride the way that you have and the other members of Saga have and continue to roll out album after album in such a way throughout your 40 plus year career is just astounding. And to me, an absolute inspiration to not just myself, but anybody out there in the world trying to make it and whatever it is that they're involved with, especially in the arts. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it hasn't been easy. Uh, it, it is one of the hardest businesses, uh, anything in the entertainment business. Um, I mean, you're dealing with public taste, so that there's there's that. There's a lot of luck involved, um, being the right place at the right time. Um, it's not always a matter of the talent, but you've got to have the talent to go, you know, to back it up. Uh, more importantly, almost as importantly, I should say, uh, is you have to have a passion for it. You have to really believe and love what you're doing. Um, having said that, I mean, it's, it's really a matter of, of sticking to your guns, uh, what you really believe in, but being willing to be flexible, not to, um, you know, ultimately completely changed just to suit the market or the record company or the public or what, you know, what's in the top 40 that week and that kind of thing. Um, but more, just keep your ear to the ground, be flexible to, to, you know, criticism. Uh, you don't have to take it, uh, but, but you have to be flexible and, and, you know, you have to look, you know, examine the whole thing every once in a while. I don't, our key, I think, and from day one has kind of been our credo was, was uh, not to be predictable and to put as many exclamation points in the music as possible. Um, but but we like we like to surprise the audience, but but you can surprise without being too bizarre. Uh, I think that, that Saga has always been uh, more song oriented than, than most um, to, uh, traditional prog bands as it were. But I mean, to call, uh, to call Saga a prog band, not no, prog band, it's a bit of a misnomer, I think, because I mean, I wouldn't consider us a, uh, I mean, as far as the purists go, you ask them and we're not really a prog band per se. Um, I think we're just a really uh, good rock band, really solid rock band with with heavy progressive influences. We fall in this kind of gray area, uh, as I think we may have discussed before, but um, 
we're not quite proggy enough for the purest prog community and not quite rock in your face for the, the hard rockers. So we've got this middle ground and have been an enigma since day one, which I kind of like. I mean, you can't really pigeonhole it, but um, I think that also contributes to uh, longevity because the, the music, when you, when you make music like that, you're not designing it for a certain time, a certain audience. Uh, you're just creating music that, that hopefully will be relatively timeless. You can't put a, a timestamp on it. And I think we've managed to do that, which is the probably part of the reason for the longevity in itself and, and my remarkable fan base. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's really just, you know, stick to your guns, be true to yourself, follow your heart, do what you what, what pleases you ultimately, because that's why you're creating music. And hopefully a lot of people in, will enjoy what you're what you're coming up with. But but don't be so, you know, so inflexible that you're not willing to. I wouldn't say be influenced by or change, but 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 just be aware that that maybe there's another way of looking at things once in a while. And and we're we're we've always, like I say, not tried not to be too predictable and and gone off on a different different path for an album or two. And 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 the fans are, have been very loyal and they're very forgiving as well. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's been a couple of albums where we've released them and the fans are kind of like the overall uh, consensus is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not my favorite, but but I'll wait for the next one. You know, you're you're forgiven for you know trying that. You know, but, um, that that's for me. That's really the key. Just trying to be as 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 honest to yourself as possible, and and just be willing to to listen to others to a point. To a point. And that honesty is evident when um, there was a certain moment early on for you um, where you had a change of heart as far as where your life was going to go. I, I've heard stories that you told about that moment where you looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, I don't want to be doing this one particular thing for the rest of my life. I'd rather yeah. be making. I just, music. yeah, I didn't, I didn't recognize the person that I saw in the mirror. I had been in a band with, um, with Jim Crichton, one of the, uh, the founding members along with myself at the primary songwriters at the beginning. Um, and we'd been in a cover band uh, prior to that together. Um, and we were doing, you know, top 40 stuff as well as doing like, let's we'll throw in a King Crimson and Gentle Giant song, which made bar band, bar audiences kind of go, what, you know. Um, but there was hints of us, you know, doing that kind of thing early on. That that, that band broke up and uh, he went on to join uh, a band called Flood from Toronto. Had a, had a great deal of success in, in Canada in the, the early 70s. Um and I, I got out of the business. I didn't like it's something about the way it broke up and, and whether it be management or money issues. I can't even re really remember at this point, but I just, it left a bad taste in my mouth. And I thought, ah, music business, this is, you know, this, as much as I like to perform and sing, uh, you know, it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. And, uh, and I joined the, the sort of the, the, the normal workforce and uh, did a number of things. And I, I ended up being a, like a salesman for a uh, graphic arts company. And had the company car and the, and the briefcase and a whole bit three-piece suit. And that was all well and good. And then uh, Jim called me one day and, and the band Flood had, had broken up. And he was writing some material. And he called me up and said, would you be interested in coming by, you know, just come over for dinner and just put some some vocals on these, you know, three or four songs I've written. Uh, I said, sure, I'd love to. You know, went over and had dinner one night. And uh, after supper, we just threw on some vocals just for fun. And, and it was really, it was, it was really cool. I really, really enjoyed it, obviously. And, I, and something obviously sparked in me. I went to work the next day. And I was still thinking about what had happened the night before. And then I, um, I kind of looked in the mirror, 
and I had my suit still on. I was just sort of looking at myself, going, "Wait a minute, I, I, who are you? What 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 is this? You know, you, you shouldn't be doing. You're supposed to be doing that. You know, and uh, uh, consequently, you know, quit my job the next day and just called up Jim and said, "Hey, you want to take you know want to take this seriously and just get this really going?" He said, "Of course." I think he knew by having me come over. If, if we were to talk about this, I mean, I think he probably knew that if I came over and just had a taste of it again, that, that I'd be hooked. And yeah, sure enough, and and then the rest is history. We just, that was it. We just started pounding out songs and put the band together and, and Saga was born. I take it you're a very self-motivated individual. Is that something that you've always had inside of you, that sense of of just believing in yourself? When, when, when you, yeah, I think when, when it came to the point uh, in my life when I realized that, that this is, you know, this is the only thing I wanted to do or something relating to music. Um, yeah. And when it came to that, as I say, once you do, if you can find that, find that spark and that passion of something, it doesn't have to be music, but if it is or anything you think in the arts, um, that's when you commit to it and you just go, you know, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this work. You know, as, as I'm going to do everything I can. Now, if all the pieces fall into place, great. You know, timing, luck, uh, an audience that wants that kind of song at that time. I mean, that's the other thing about the music business because, or music in general, you can write a song today that you put it out there and just kind of, eh, people aren't in the mood for that kind of song right now. Now, you release that five, 10 years ago maybe a different story be like yes that's exactly what we want to hear right now it's just the general mood that people are in you have no way of predicting that um but you just keep you know you just keep as long as you have a, a really strong imagination and, and creative uh, drive inside you anything's possible you know, so. yes i've been very self-motivating since i realized that this is what i want to do it's fantastic again it's it's really inspiring to i think a lot of people out there especially in this day and age with how things are in, in uh, music and, and entertainment industry, I think in particular yeah. that. I feel, I feel actually uh, bad for it, but I mean, it, it's, it's a lot tougher now, although it seems, okay, it, it would seem that it's more accessible and, and easier in a sense uh, because of all the, the social uh, medias and, and all the platforms that you're able to use to introduce new music um, to people. Unfortunately, because of that, there's a flood of, of music and, and projects and things that, that you can be exposed to. And it's so immediate and so quick. And uh, the, the, the landscape is not the same as it used to be. It really isn't. I mean, you, you go on tour bands like ourselves and bands from that era, if they're still performing, still uh, a touring act, you used to go on tour to promote an album. Now, you'll maybe you know come up with some new music to give an excuse to go on the road because you're not selling any physical copies anymore that is evident that is gone in terms of a, a you know a real a revenue source so it's really about playing live and merch and that kind of thing that's where you a, a musician a modern musician a modern touring musician can make money um because, like I say, it used to be, you know, uh, let's get on the road and promote, you know, promote this record. We'll sell gazillions of copies, and that's where your income's coming in, as long as you struck the right deal with the record company, of course. Um, but it's completely reversed in the meantime. So, I, I it's tough. It's in, in a sense, it's a lot tougher. I, I, I don't know that it'd be possible these days to start a brand new. I don't want to say traditional rock band, but you know, five, five or six guys playing their instruments and being an actual band and getting out there. I think their odds are against them uh, these days, far more so than than back when, like in the 70s or even early 80s. 
But yeah, for the ones that make it, I, I am encouraged. I see all the time new, like rock bands, not projects, not not studio projects where you can cut and paste and that. Which and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that, that's an art form in itself, and I give kudos to people who can do that really well and create a song like that. You know, um, I keep a very open mind, and then credit where credits due. But the, the like the you know the the idea of a rock band just going, okay, we're going to conquer the world. Let's let's go for it. It's refreshing to see that there are uh, bands out there doing that, and there are young guys getting getting into it. And I think everyone's kind of fed up with the the cookie cutter kind of music uh, to a point. So when something cool comes out. That's you know more along the lines of a traditional rock band. It, it really it, it's like new and fresh, so, and that's cool. Absolutely, and and going back for a second to your early your roots, I, I always like to ask first time guests on Sonic Dorms about the origin story, if you will, when it came to the roots of why they fell in love with music in the first place. So for you, do you remember that point of discovery for you, that entryway into your love of music? Uh I think it was always, I don't remember a certain point in time. I think it was always there. Um, I mean, I grew up, I was exposed to music, uh, especially vocally, uh, in a, when I was in the church choir when I was quite young, from the age of, I think, eight, eight or nine years old for uh, seven or eight years. Um, so the music was already there. Uh, I wasn't in the church choir by choice. I just ended up there. Um, went through the, you know, till I had an adult voice and uh, uh I, I mean, I, I was always aware of music and always really liked it. Um, I mean, my first album was The Monkees, of all things, their, their debut album. But uh, I always liked it. I don't think there was a moment in time where I, when, I, when I realized that, you know, oh, I really like music and maybe I should think about pursuing it. I think it was it was inherent. I think it's 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 part of the genes, perhaps. Um, I don't have a particularly musical family, for, to, I mean, professionally speaking anyway, so I don't come from that kind of background where there was music playing in the house all the time and that kind of story. Um, I, it was just there. I, I can't remember like that light bulb moment. It was like, oh, music. I've discovered music. I really like it. You know, I want to do something with it. I just, it's like I say, I've always grown up surrounded by it in, in a sense with the with the choir and then straight out of choir. Um, in, I, I mean, I, I left, left the church choir and, and quit school. Don't do those kids. Um, quit school and uh, and left home. Uh, to move in with a, a blues band when I was, you know, 17 years old, and they were all old guys in their 20s. And, I mean, I just went straight into it, straight out of, uh, of the choir, basically, into performance. Did you have any vocalists in particular that, for you, were the inspirations for you as a singer yourself? In the early days, um, no one in particular, I don't think, that I can remember. Um, as time progressed, uh, Freddie Mercury suddenly made his presence known, and I was like, "What?" I mean, Freddie was the whole package, as in terms of the, the voice, the, the performance, his his on stage presence, and just everything about the man. Um, and and Peter Gabriel of, of the two ends of the spectrum. Um, Peter definitely for his theatrics and the way he would present songs, and, and a different animal than Freddie, but both they they knew how to. I won't say entertain an audience, but that means presenting their music, presenting your music to an audience and, and getting putting it across in a live setting. Because quite often, you know, as, as you probably know, I'm well aware of and people are well aware that um, songs take on a whole different feel live. They, they become much more organic. 
as long as it's not all based on playback, of course. But you got the guys up there playing, and it, it, the song just starts to breathe a bit more. It's a different animal, and, and you sing it slightly differently. And the melody's still there, but you just have a different. You got people in front of you, and they're all smiling at you. <laughs> Their arms are in the air. You can't help but be inspired to to, to emote more. But um, that, that when I started to really focus on on singers. Um, those two for sure. Uh, Steve Perry, I always thought was 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 an amazing singer. Brad Delp, Boston, and you know, um, singers, singers. Uh, John Wetton in the in the prog world, a tremendous tremendous vocalist. Greg Lake as well. Um, I just appreciate good, you know, well sung uh, performances. Good singers, good. Singers. But I mean, there's value in hearing Mick Jagger sing. I mean, he doesn't proclaim himself to be you know, operatic or, or uh, a technician when it comes to singing, but he's got his style and it works. It works for the Rolling Stones. It works for him. Um, you know, he's not a singer singer and he doesn't pretend to be. He's, 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 he's Big Jagger, you know, and you get Lou Reed, same thing, you know. Um, but, but, but I always will gravitate towards the, the, the singers, singers, as it were. So there's, a, there's a bunch of them out there. When, when you were putting together the construct of the saga sound, if you will, what was that? What were like, what was the alchemy like when you guys were saying, let's mix a little bit of this, let's make, mix a little of that? Because one thing that's immediately evident from the 78 debut by Saga is that there is a world here that you guys had created, whether it's with the Sonics, the Songcraft, the chapters that begin on that first album there's a certain almost like a universe that the band has created within the album. It almost feels like cinematic in a way. That was, um, I don't want to say accidental, but it was kind of a byproduct of, of just us. Um, we, you also have different elements coming together at the very beginning. Jim and I were hard into the prog world, uh, especially Gentle Giant, but really hard into the prog world. Uh, Steve Nagus, original drummer, came from an R&B background. Uh, Ian Crichton, Jim's brother, uh, guitar-wise, uh, was Led Zeppelin and, and bands like that. So he's coming from the hard rock world, guitar-wise. You've got two proggers, and you've got an R&B guy, and then you've got uh, Peter Rochon, the original player, and now uh, Jim Gilmore. Jim Gilmore was classically trained. He went to university for uh, studying music. So you put all that together, and that's what uh, that's where you get that, that's, I guess, the enigma I was talking about, that it's, you, you can't really put a finger on it. It's, we used to call it, just for fun, we'd call it medieval funk because it, it had these sort of Celtic feels and, and that with, with this really funky side. And, and then with Ian, with the really driving hard rock guitar, and then you put all those together in the epic keyboards. And it's like, wow, what, what, what is this? <laughs> but we never questioned it. It just seemed to come out, that's what we ended up creating. And... Um, I think another uh, rule of thumb was anything goes. Uh, nothing was off limits. Um, you know, I, I mean, there were parameters, but we didn't make them. They they kind of made themselves. We, we knew when, when something wasn't appropriate, it just didn't feel good. Uh, we were very fussy about what we worked on and democratic about it too, because you've got five people and all five had to agree on, on the songs that we were going to uh, eventually put on whichever record we were working on at the time. Um, because ultimately, I mean, as a singer, not just as a singer, any of the players in the, in the band, if, if you're not crazy about the song that everyone else is, uh, you'll do it, you know, and it's like, it's okay, but you're not feeling the same uh, passion about it as the other four. You're not going to perform that, whether it be on guitar, vocal, drums, keyboards, bass, 
the same way you would if you were really, really committed to that song the way the other four are. So it's kind of counterproductive in a sense. You're not going to get the best performance out of that individual. So it's best to all be on the same. And also, I mean, for, you're going to come up with a better feeling song if everyone's really working it and, and really loving it and refining their part in amongst the rehearsal. Um, it's better off, you know, everyone's better off at the end of the day. So, uh, and the other thing we would always say was, um, if anything, if we were in the middle of working on something, if someone said, oh, that, that reminds me of, it was like, what? And even if no one had heard of it before, what they're talking about is that reminds you of something? And well, then we can't use that. If anything, the remotest bit reminded anybody in the band as we were writing something of something else. You go, no, 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 we can't, we can't do that because we, whether it's recognizable or not, it could be a subliminal thing that someone's going to hear and one day go, oh, they must have been listening to so-and-so because that reminds me of, I didn't want anybody doing that. I didn't want there to be any, we didn't uh, want there to be any reference to someone else's music or influence, as it were. We, we wanted this to be us and new and fresh and, and, and as original as possible. And speaking of that songwriting process, it always interests me to hear what somebody goes through when they begin writing a song and hell it's called hell (laughs) everybody has a different story some people really have to take the time to carve it out and then some people it kind of just pops in one day right but uh how is that for you that process what do you go through if you don't mind sharing uh it's 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 kind of different each time but but in a sense uh the same in, in in terms for me um, it's been very rare that I have just, you know, a song has popped into my head and I can hear it from beginning to end. That's the, I sit down and write it in like five minutes and that's, that's it. I've done that with lyrics uh, in the past, just, you know, oh, I got an idea for a lyric and write it down. But nine times out of 10, 90% of the material that Saga has or I've written with Saga or for myself for that matter, the music has always come first. And a lot of songwriters, uh, country writers, for example, they get a guitar and the lyric happening. And then they work around. They've got the story already in their head. They've got the lyrics pretty much worked out. And then you put the song or you build the song around that. I do it the other way around. And I let the music tell me what the song is supposed to be about, uh, as it were. Uh, unless I have, you know, I'll be working on something and maybe a key phrase, which may end up being the chorus or, or, or something. But something's, yeah, I keep singing the same thing in a certain part. And it becomes catchy to me if nothing else, remind me of the rhyming scheme or the, 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 the timing of the vocal that's going to be there eventually, or melody is going to be there eventually. But um, most of the time it's the music first and generally it starts with a groove. If I'm at home uh, sitting with, with my gear and staring at the screen, I'll put some basic groove in. And I've maybe got an idea for a groove in my head. And I also say, I want this kind of groove, this kind of song that works out this kind of groove. And I'll start with the groove first and a bass line. And then take it from there, whether it be a you know piano or a, a guitar line or something. But um, just put it down in this basic form, always starting with the rhythm just for me. Unless it's unless it's a, a, a piano-based song, like a ballad, and then you don't, the, the groove is, is not important. That is definitely an afterthought, if there is one at all. When words and lyrics do pop up in your mind, do they come with a melodic refrain, or is it just the words? Uh... Interesting question. Most of the time, it's just the words, uh, like a, a, a clever phrase, or, or I'll hear a, a line, not that I'm going to steal from someone, but a clever way of saying something or that, and, and it'll spark something else. Um, 
but most of the time, it, once in a while, in fact, there, I'm working on a song right now that I've actually been working on for on and off for about 10 years. <laughs> and it's one of those where I, I, I'm such a perfectionist and I, I think it's a really important and really cool song, but it's not until it's ready. And I will just go back to it every once in a while on that. But the one that I'm working on right now, that happened to me where the chorus was happening and I heard words sitting on the melody. Now, whether they stay or not, I'm not sure, but that is the place mark. That's the placeholder for me right now. It may well be that 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 is the name of the song or the, the subject of the song or one of the key um, uh, memorable moments or whatever, or, or key phrases. Um, but yeah, generally it's just the music comes. If I start hearing a melody on top of it, um, but but usually it's, it's almost complete in terms of final, you know, it, just short of being the final arrangement of that, but a, a verse, bridge, and chorus. I'll wait till that's kind of together. Then I'll just sit back and just let it play over and over. Go for a drive with a demo of that, of the song in that state. Just drive around and just, you know, start singing along with it in the car or just, you know, getting ideas that way. Are there so Once in a while, I'll hear the lyric on it. Yeah. Are there particular instances within the last decade or so where you're writing songs and you know that it's something that you're going to devote more towards a solo project and or more so than a saga project, or does it just really, you don't figure that out till the end of the day. I don't really figure that out until the end of the day. And usually what happens is um, there's almost like, I don't see a designated writing period, but, but there kind of is in the sense that in terms of, especially now after, uh, you know, <laughs> just over four decades of doing this in the same bunch of you know, guys, um, it's a time factor and, and you, you slice up uh, portions of your life in a year or whatever in, in terms of the career and, the, and what the band is doing. And if you sit down and go, okay, it's time to do a new new album, um, you kind of, once that's kind of announced uh, to yourselves and to everybody else that, you know, it's time to do the new one, um, then the writing begins. The writing always begins individually. And you start coming up with ideas at home or, or whatever you've got. Uh, we'll kind of, we'll come with say I've got nine songs as it were. Usually it's just like bits and pieces, uh, passages like a really strong what I think is a really strong chorus or this kind of thing. And we'll we'll come in with all these bits and pieces and kind of construct a song as it were. Like this is a really cool chorus. I need a verse that goes along. Oh, that that verse that you came up with Ian and that is that what key is that? I think that would go into this part really nicely. So that's when the 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 kind of jigsaw puzzle. Uh, aspect of the writing comes together and it's kind of a cool way to do it um because then you've got you know distinct other personalities adding that section that section that section instead of everybody working on that guy's whole song as it were um but yeah it's it's but in terms of me me when we get into that phase then i'm locked into whatever i'm writing is for saga because i'm right i'm in saga album mode and i'm thinking that way um if during that process something i think is really cool but not necessarily uh album material for this go round, i may show that and think i might use that for myself um and and i did it a couple of times in my first solo album but, um, and they were just bits that I had left, not left over from Saga, but most of it was written fresh, but there were a couple of moments that I, that I pulled over. But, but that's usually the process. If we start working on a Saga record, that's all I'm working on. But um, I mean, the one I'm working on right now for myself 
it's really starting to come together. And I think it's really strong. And now I'm kind of going, well, I should be doing a backup to like a follow-up to my to clear. I want to do clear part two. So this is a real contender for that. But on the other hand, at this point, it's like 45 years. If we're going to do another album, we probably will. But it's got to be like our swan song at this point. It's got to be like really, it's got to be like a world's apart. So it's got to be just right. This would suit that kind of record. So now, <laughs> now I'm sitting here going, save it for myself. Is there a song? I, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well conflicted about it. Well, well conflicted. Every every yeah. time I go to work on it. Uh, you mentioned lyrics. And one thing that's always fascinated me about your words are how motivational a lot of them are. Most of the time, I, I don't think I've ever really read a negative saga lyric. I mean, a lot of most of the, your lyrical content has been about uplift, self-motivation. It's about uplifting yourself. I mean, songs like You're Not Alone, Climbing the Ladder, right. Lifeline. I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of positivity there, which for me personally has helped me get through this thing called life. So I you know first, what? You, thank you for you, that. Really, you're, you're welcome. Uh, yeah. Semi unintentional. Uh, I think what that is born from is um, I've always been a huge fan of human behavior. I, I just I, I love like airports, for example. I will sit there waiting for a flight and just watch people and imagine, you know, what's that couple doing? Are they saying goodbye for good? Did they just meet and they're just, you know, uh, what's that family going on with that family? And there's a service guy and we're wondering where he's going and I and I and I just imagine what these people do and just watching what people do the good and the bad and and pointing out uh, not pointing out but bringing to attention like little flaws and and the silly things we do or smart things we do or whatever but um and it's never been about pointing fingers and look how stupid that person's being or this and that or how, how bad they are and that that's not a nice way to be it's noticing things about humans in general ourselves included myself included when i'm writing it so i'm just the human animal is fascinating to me so what I try to do probably most of the time is just find the best in that situation and go, why do that when you could do this and a better outcome? Or, you know, have you ever thought about doing this? And that? So I think the positivity comes from that. It comes from finding little flaws in the human animal that we are, self-included, um, and just finding ways to go and questioning things. Like why do we behave that way? You know, is that really necessary? You know, the other people are going to get hurt if we do that, that kind of thing. So, uh, but again, you're not, it's not about preaching or pointing fingers. It's just bringing that to people's attention, I guess. Mine too. I mean, I've learned a lot about myself by doing that that way. You know, I'll, I'll look at someone and I'll go, hmm, why do I, I do that too? Why do I do that? Is that something that Jim Criden also had a hand in also? I think so. I think so. We just both naturally wrote that way. And yeah. uh, same thing, you know, it's just we were on the same kind of wavelength when it came to writing lyrics. Um, you know, we never in the beginning uh, really didn't. Uh, I made I made a joke and it, it comes up in interviews once in a while. But you, you said that you never wrote a love song. You, you said you'd never use the word love. Well, you know, it's, it's inevitable. You're going <laughs> to grow up one day and talk about it. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, it wasn't about, you know, boy-girl relationship this time and even when i when when later on when i started diving into that area 
it wasn't your run of the mill boy meets girl, boy loses girl. If there's a relationship, there's something strange about it, or or or, or they're torn, or or this outside influences that Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. It's that kind of thing, as opposed to just you know she broke my heart, so I got in the truck and I drove down, and got a twenty four pack, and then saw her the next day and brought brought her a dog. You know, um, we lived happily ever after. And there's nothing wrong with those songs. I think they're great, but that's not the way that I like music. Right. So now really quickly going back to that, there's a transitional period uh, in my, to my years for you in, in your career vocally. And to me, it happens between silent night and worlds apart. And I think I, you <laughs> think, you know, where I'm getting, what I'm getting yeah, at here, but yeah, um, that, that, yeah. it involves a certain producer uh, of yeah. uh, high stature who um, yeah. um, we've lost in the recent years, but incredible. One of my favorites and Rupert Hine, um, when he came on board to work with you on Worlds Apart in 1981, yeah. um, what there's a distinct shift not only sonically but in your vocal approach, delivery, in your voice. It's still you, but mm. it sounds like you kind of it's, went up a, it's, it's, a tier. It's more, it's a more of a human me. <laughs> I think. Well, I think probably part of the reason in the early days coming straight out of, almost straight out of a church choir, all the discipline was there. And I, that's the way I was used to singing, singing things exactly right. And the breathing was exactly and enunciation and this and that. When you're singing hymns that's, and part of a choir, you have to sing that way. So that's your your, your training growing up. Uh, when I transitioned to doing singing rock music of that, no one ever mentioned making the adjustment. So I would just like <laughs> singing you know, blues with these, you know, three older guys and I'm singing like sh Chicago blues, but I'm singing it like a choir boy. And it's not the way you're supposed to sing the blues, but nobody ever said anything. So if you listen to the first three albums, especially the first one, there is that disciplined singing, the notes are there, and it's, but it's very, you know, uh, measured. When we uh, came to do Worlds Apart, um, I mean, we worked on the songs, just just pounded them. We lived over in England in, in Maidenhead and all lived in the same house. And just every day, we just pounded these songs we, once we knew which songs were going to be on the record. But the very first meeting with Rupert, um, we sat down in the control room at the studio, the Farmer Studios, and uh, we're sitting on the couch there. And Rupert said, OK, well, you know, really excited to, you know, I've got some ideas and this and that. And Steve and I, my, his partner, Stephen Taylor, you know, we, we've uh, talked about it. We got some, you know, let's just talk about, okay, let, let's start with the drums, you know, blah, 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 blah. This is what we love about them. This is what we'd like to try and do. And like, oh, yeah. And then he did that with the, the guitar and then with the bass and then the keyboards. And then finally he goes, all right, Michael, let's talk about the vocals. And we're like, uh-oh, <laughs> saved the worst to last. Um, he said, and, and I'll never forget this. He just looked at me and said, okay, we know you can sing. So the, the, that's not the question here. But what I want you to do now is forget everything you've learned about singing. And I was like, hang on. <laughs> so you want me to just wipe the slate clean? And what he meant was, you've got the discipline, you've got the chops, we know you have a voice, we know you can sing, you can sing in key. Great. Now, forget all that and just sing. Just hear the words in your head, feel them coming. Just sing. If you make a mistake, who cares? This we're here to record. And and if you make a mistake, maybe you meant to make a mistake because that line is wrong. Maybe try it a different way because you keep making the same mistake, that kind of thing. But just play with the song. You know how the melody goes. You know what the lyrics are. Now, now sing those lyrics to us. You know, 
sell me that song, but do it, just feel it. And, and as soon as he explained it that way, I realized what he was talking about. And that's when the change really did happen. <clears throat> and, and I started singing more, I mean, there's still discipline involved, but, but less, less, less measured, as I, as I said, it's, it's less thinking about where the next note is going to land. You know, how you get there is half the, half the fun. And it doesn't have to be like climbing a ladder, going to taking each step to that next note. Uh, you can you get there whichever way you can, as long as it doesn't sound you know out of tune or that. But he just freed me up to just not be concerned about it being perfect. Is that something that you still bring to your performances today? I've never forgotten it. I've, I've never forgotten, it, especially live. Um, there, there'll be t- uh, one song, for example, uh, when you when you do a tour, you're playing this essentially the same set each night. Um, each night I'll do a particular song slightly differently. I mean, the melody is the same, but it, it's going to it's going to sway a little bit differently each night because there's there's different factors, a different kind of audience. They're all really happy to see, but it's a different room. It's a different stage. It's a different uh, different smiling faces, whatever, whatever. Something different happened to you that day. I'm going to sing that that song a little bit different each night. And it's just the inflections and the way I'm feeling. So that's that discipline has stayed with me. But I don't think about it. It's something that that I think Rupert instilled in me. And that's what I do now. And I just I, I just feel the song now. Sometimes I hold a note much longer than other, you know, than than the night before. Sometimes I'll shorten it because I'll let someone else sing it or what. <laughs> it's a it's 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 freedom to do that more than anything else. It, it was it it unlocked a lot of possibilities for me as a vocalist. So. I could also tell just through the performance footage of that era and on that as a performer, you also seem to have loosened up in this way where I, I see the Freddie Mercury influence suddenly take shape in a way that you've made, that you start to make your own, but it felt mm-hmm. like you began to engage with the audience a hundred times more than you had prior to that. What, yeah. again, was that just you? Was that a comfort thing for you? Um, <clears throat> there's a funny, funny story about that. Um, and I, and I will attribute the, the change that I think you're noticing around the time that this happened is that we were you know, enjoying a moderate amount of success and things were happening and I was enjoying being on stage, but still a bit, I wouldn't say stiff, but, but stiffer than I am now, um, or, or started to become. And I will never forget we had two managers at the time, and one of the managers, I won't name names, he, he'll remember. It was, it was a positive thing at the end of the day, but um, I remember he took me aside and he said, you know, we were talking, meaning the management, said, we were talking about it, and we're thinking maybe um, getting someone, you know, someone, another guy, uh, you know, in the band, and I'm like, he says, to, uh, you know, do more of these sort of, like the entertaining thing, like the more of a front thing, because, you, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of keyboards and you're having to go back and this and that. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I think he was saying something, but, you know, it was really important, the keyboard parts I'm playing and that kind of thing. So it was like reinforcing the fact that you're still incredibly valuable, but maybe more valuable if we had, you know, a, a, another singer uh, doing the, the entertainment. And I was like, wait a minute. So he had at that point, like kind of thrown down the glove as it were. And I was like, oh yeah? So I, I took that sort of, I'll show you uh, uh, reply in my head. I thought, well, just give me, you know, I said, well, you know, hold off. And first of all, I was a little bit insulted. I mean, it's like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> you want someone else to be the singer. And so I, I think 
that motivated me to just go, really? You think so? Okay. So at that point, it was like, all right, Jim, uh, Jim Crichton, bass player. I said, tell you what, let's find three or four songs that are fairly easy on keyboards and at the same time, fairly easy uh, bass uh, parts to play that I can sing as well at the same time. So that I wasn't stuck behind the keyboards doing a lead vocal, but the keyboards had to be there. I would play the bass part, which left me out front and hence more entertainment, you know, more of a front thing going on for me and the audience and the contacts. And, and that's how that, you know, uh, that, that transition began. And, and then again, it's just, it's being comfortable in your own skin, I think. And, and just, you know, trying a few things here and there. And then you just naturally fall into it where, where I mean, the audience really helps. Um, you, know, you get motivated, you walk out there and it's really hard not to get inspired to just, I, it, what, it, what it boils down to, I think that what, I, what I'm trying to translate as I'm singing is, is the interaction with the audience, which I think is paramount for any concert that you, not literally, but make the audience feel like they're on stage with you and you're out there with them and you're spending the evening together. It's not like we're the band, you're getting entertained, you're the audience and that's it. There, there, that is the distinction, but you can blur the lines when you're on stage and make them feel part of it as opposed to we're entertaining you. No, we're all here together to make this evening happen. And the, the, the back and forth with the audience is, is critical. And I find it really natural in the meantime. I don't, I'll say something different every night. There are key things that I'll say. There are little triggers for songs or that kind of thing or to, to get a reaction. That, that goes without saying. Um, but there's just, I, 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 you know, do you get nervous before going on for, uh, for a show after all these years? Yes, of course I do. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what they're going to be like. And it's not really nervous. I think it's just that, that anxious anticipation of I can't wait to get out there and see, you know, see how this goes. So, um, yeah. So, so long story short, yeah, I was pushed into it <laughs> and my pride wouldn't let me, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't stand for it. So I thought, you know what, I'll show you. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. That, that's the beauty of this once again is in, in the, what makes this again so inspirational is that you fought back and you decided to take the challenge and you actually, took yourself to a whole nother plateau as a performer. Yeah, I, I think I thought, you know, this isn't your band. I mean, uh, thanks for the advice. But if you see a problem, well, let's fix it internally. I don't, you know, thanks for pointing that out, but I'll take it from here. That's beautiful. Uh, I, I The Rupert Hine era to me is incredible. It obviously mm -hmm. took the band to another level. Yeah. But to me, where it gets really interesting in your catalog are the two albums that follow that. And one of them in particular you've mentioned many upon many times is captures what you consider to be, if I'm not mistaken, your favorite vocal on a, on a saga album, right? Or on an album in general, which is on 1985's behavior. Uh, yeah. On a whole, I mean, uh, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent happy with anything I've ever done. Um, and there's as a, from a percentage point of view, that record I'm more happy with overall than any other record in terms of, of uh, the, my vocal performance. Um, I've mentioned it before that I think it's, it's a cross between the songs, uh, the melodies that I was singing, uh, the, the lyrics, 
and the the state of mind I was in at the time. And and when I I mean when I listen to it back now, I feel that that feeling that I had, and it's a really good feeling. Oh, nothing specific, you know. When you listen to a record, it just takes you back to a time, not specifically, but how you felt at that time in your life when you were hearing that song for the first time or that music at that time. Behavior does that to me, and that tells me that I was in a really really good place because it makes me feel that way every time I hear the songs. And, um, and I'm very fussy about my vocal. And overall, of all the records, that is my favorite overall performance. Uh, Pete, the Sonics on that record uh, by uh, producer Peter Walsh, who had worked yeah. on New Gold Dream for Simple Minds prior to that, are astonishing to this day. It's it has it sounds 1985 without sounding 1985. At least I agree. I, I was yeah, I was about to say it's, it's got a bit of a, a, a timestamp on it, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, like you say, it sounds like the time it's supposed to be, but it doesn't sound typical of the sound that's that where it, at that time, as it were. I mean, it's it's it's. It sounds like an album that we made in 1985, but it doesn't reflect necessarily everything that was going on in 1985. But it was that was, that was us then, and I'm really I really like like I say, I think everybody was in a really good space at that time because things were going well. Um, we, we we were recording it in uh, in Munich um, and and all the cities in, in Germany. Uh, I've mentioned it before, but uh, if you're going to call any town in or any town or city in Germany your home away from home it would be Munich that's just it's steeped in history for the band so there was that the familiarity of where we were the songs the producer the studio itself it was everything fell into into place with that when the stars aligned and, and you know M musically and lyrically it's still saga in every way but there was a another bit of a shift there was that what was the mo for the band at the time uh, as you said at points, you could take a little bit of outside influence. Was that the case with behavior? Were you guys? What was the mo on that record? If you don't I mind do, me asking, know, I, I, you know, I, I wish I could uh, be specific in questions like that and go, well, you know what? There was a couple of songs I was listening to at the time that kind of made me go, hmm. There may have been, but but like to go back to my uh, original comments about, about how we approach albums and, and songwriting. Um, if it's there, it's subliminal and it's, and it's in the subconscious. But um, I, I, what came out came out, and it was a product of, of, of how we feel. I mean, there's a direct contrast in, in, in some of the songs. I mean, Promises is, is, is a complete contrast to, for example, Goodbye Once Upon a Time. Goodbye Once Upon a Time, I wrote the intro for that at a grand piano overlooking the Bahamian Sea. You know, I was, we were in Nassau, living in the, in the Bahamas for a while, and we were writing. And um, I remember sitting at the piano and just literally looking over the ocean and came up with that, uh, the, the uh, piano intro for that song. And that song in general, if you compare that to Promises, they're like, excuse me, the expression of worlds apart uh, from each other, but, but somehow live comfortably on the same album. So it was just, all the songs felt right to be included. Uh, you, 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 uh, when you do a new album, you could have 12, 15 songs, maybe as much as 20. You're going to whittle it down to probably with our music, the most, maybe 10. Um, those songs that we chose wanted to live together on that record. And that's just, they, like I say, you know, sometimes songs will let you know what they want to do or if they even want to be songs. I have choruses that, uh, that have been the catalyst for many songs, never became one of them themselves. You take this chorus and start trying to build a song around it. Suddenly you've got a song, but that chorus doesn't fit anymore. But it was the catalyst for the song, and it just sits on the shelf, and it does it two or three times. Um, I think only one time 
um, that a chorus finally became a song. And I can't remember which one it was, but I remember going, oh, finally, it's got, it's got, it's got music of its own to go around it. You know, so. To me, I mean, I can say this for a lot of the albums in the Saga catalog, but that record in particular, Behavior, should have been a smash hit. I mean, commercially speaking, I think that record has. And the fact that you guys wrote all the songs. I mean, there are no outside songwriters on Behavior, as far as yeah. I'm aware of. Um, and I'm crazy. I look at the songwriting credits. Uh, so... <laughs> I look oh, at all the liner notes and I, I like that to goes back. Notes. That goes back to the romantic days when people would buy vinyl and sit and put their headphones on and read the liner notes, you know, and listen at the same time. It doesn't happen anymore, unfortunately. I, I'm a misplaced fanatic in, in case Good. you didn't know. So <laughs> I'm out of my time here. Yeah, that's so, fine. There's, there's lots of you out there. I know you're out there. So fantastic. So moving forward to you guys evolving as a trio, it was just you, Ian and Jim creating Wildest Dreams with, um, Keith Olsen, how did you get in touch with Keith? Was that something that happened immediately or was that something that... that that's um, something that, well, Jim was play, living in uh, L.A. at the time, and I believe he came across Keith Olsen, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's either before or after he, he got his studio in L.A., which is right next to Keith Olsen's. But, uh, um, yeah, the, the connection happened. Keith sounded interested. Uh, I, I at first kind of went, that's going to be an interesting uh, choice in a different direction for us, I think. Judging by uh, only by his discography and his track record, I mean White Snake and and Ozzy Osbourne and, and and bands like that, and a lot of the hair bands from the eighties, uh, those those kinds of, of of acts. And I thought, hmm, well, it could be interesting. I mean, I'm, I've got no point. This could be interesting to add his take on our music and see what we end up with. And and wildest dreams again another record that I'm <laughs> that's one of those with it's kind of a split thing with the fans a, a lot no one hates it but but with the hardcore fans they're kind of like ah, wildest dreams it's different it's only the three of them and it's not quite the same and others go no it's not but it's still a very very strong strong uh, strong saga record saga at that time what saga was at that time and it is a very strong record it's it's you know diving a bit more into the relationship thing and the and the love thing but um i think the strong the songs are really strong there's a couple of killer tracks on that album that that again it should have probably got a lot more airplay but at that point in your career you guys i mean at the end of the day if if you could you could have just given up at that point you guys again found your fan base which was mostly in uh, it was in germany correct was mostly, where, mostly and you decided to just focus on that and continue and carry mm -hmm. on no matter what regardless yeah. of whatever happened you guys carried on if you if you've got an audience then it could be in tasmania it could be alaska it could be anywhere as long as you've got a pocket of fans somewhere um to to write for and they appreciate what you're doing and that if there's an audience for it there's no reason to stop just because you're, you're, you're we, we, we rode the popularity ride uh, up and down and up and down through four and a half decades. And uh, for, we're fortunate enough, maybe it's the longevity thing. I'm not sure the number of albums that we put out, but there seems to be, a, a, I, I sense a kind of, I hesitate to use the word renaissance, but there is something going on with the band right now. And there's this new life and I can feel it in the, in the audiences that we played to recently. Um, I will attribute, let's give it, 45% to the fact that, you know, the, the whole COVID starvation of live music and they're just excited to be back out again. But I look at the people out there and they're singing every word. So I can't say it's mostly the COVID thing and, they, and they're just, you know, getting out again. 
but there definitely seems to be a groundswell around the band again. And we are playing very, if I do say so myself, we're playing very, very well right now. Um, it's tight, it's fun. And that's the other comment that people have said that we're, we're smiling and, and we're just, I'm walking around, I'm, I'm walking around, you know, just saying whatever I feel like. I mean, I, I've done shows where recently this, someone came up to me and said, everyone seems to be having such a good time up there. Everyone's just smiling and laughing. Like, what is it that you're saying to the other guys in the band when you got make them laugh? I said, you know what? 80% of the time, it has nothing to do with the set. It has nothing to do with music. It could be something that happened at lunchtime, something that happened the day before in the hotel, whatever. But I'll just I, I'll just whisper something really stupid in someone's ear. And, and, just, and, and it's a little game trying to distract them so they'll make a mistake. But uh, no, we're, we're having fun and we're having, we're, we're just, uh, we're, we're playing really well with each other right now. And uh, I can I can feel it in the audience. So there's a there's a, a definite groundswell going on again for the band, which is great. At this point in our careers, to have this happening is is, is really nice feeling. What I think too is, I think is on your side is the fact that you guys never stopped. You guys have been yeah. consistent throughout your career, made quality albums. There's been a few a couple detours here and there, experiments, but throughout the career, it's been consistent. And I think beginning from full circle forward for the band nothing but what I would call roots saga and that you've been making these are great records that are kind of a nod to that core saga sound that was created so on the too. first three records. I think so too. Yeah. But still moving it forward mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. a new direction. So it's still yeah. fresh. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be. It, it, it is always, that was one of the rules. It has to feel fresh. It has to feel, it doesn't feel like we're revisiting something we did before, you know, like, Oh, that's like, that sounds like a brand new. That's, that's, oh, that could be a new one. No, 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 no. As soon as you said that out of your mouth, we're, <laughs> no, 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 no. we're not as much as we love that record. That was that record. This is now. And, and, and things have got to be, like you said, they've got to be moving forward, you know, not necessarily in a, in a specific creative way, but, the energy has to be moving forward and not not going back and, and thinking, oh, well, let's let's remember what it was like to make this record. No, 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 no. You don't do that. You don't do that. You can reminisce, but you're working on something new right now. And it's not time to do that. You're working on some some new energy and some new music and some new thoughts. And, and it's for for those that are unaware, Saga did release a record uh, a couple of years ago called Symmetry. Uh, I found it incredibly fascinating, and you guys pretty much put a new coat of paint and deconstructed some classic saga tunes and brought them out to people in a, in a, in a very, very new way, very organic sounding. Um, and I still put that on to this day. I think that's a very, very interesting album and, and your take on deconstructing those classic songs and in, in, in such a way. That, that album, I'll tell you, man, um, it was the most, it's funny because they were a collection of songs that we already knew and, and that we had 90% of them we had played live and quite a number of times. Um, but it was one of the most challenging and yet rewarding records we've ever made. Um, challenging simply because, see, when we first announced what kind of record it was going to be, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction was, oh, it's an unplugged record. They're just going to play those songs with an acoustic guitar instead of an electric guitar and a piano instead of, a, you know, essentially the same songs, just stripped down. We, we didn't, it's us. There's no way we're going to do that. We're not just going to say, <laughs> nah. So we had talked for a while about doing, at some point, um, a, 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 uh, an acoustic version 
as opposed to an unplugged album. Um, because you see, the, the, there's nothing wrong with doing an unplugged album, just basically unplugged, except for the fact that um, you come off, if you come off looking lazy or, or, or like it's, it's, you're filling time in between studio releases, like, well, this, let's do this to keep the fan base alive or keep the, the name out there while we work on something else. Um, we didn't want to do that. And, and that, that was the misconception that at first till people heard what we were up to. Um, but what we had to do was, was look at these songs individually, uh, what parts we, we did at first, how can we completely deconstruct this song instrumentation wise and arrangements and that kind of thing without losing the integrity of the song? Uh, for myself, for example, uh, Wind Him Up, um, I had to, because of the key of the song, um, you, I had to re, kind of reimagine the, the, the verse melody um, simply because you can't sing it with the, the same bravado without the instrumentation behind it. This is a different feel. And, um, and, and lyrically, it's, it's later on. So I changed the lyrics slightly to like, he's still standing at his table. Still, the guy's still gambling. Since you heard him in, in the 80s, he's still at the table, you know. Um, but, but the beauty of it was, the timing was, was, was spot on. Um, if, if there was any um, silver lining to the COVID cloud, it's the fact that we were suddenly, you know, we're all quarantined. There's no touring. There's, there's nothing like that. In a lot of cases, you're not even leaving your house. Um, and we thought, you know what? This is the perfect time to work on a record like that. Because as opposed to a new studio album where you need all five guys in the studio and, you you know, you got to play the song, record them, and it's, it's that kind of thing, because these are new songs. And you're probably arranging them or, or working on them a little bit as you go anyway. Um, these were songs that we all knew. We knew our parts what used to be our parts. Um, so it really was a, ma a matter of, of uh, each member of the band addressing their part and reimagining it and coming up with something different. So what better time to do it than you're stuck in your house? You don't need the other guys around because you know how the song's going to go. You, we're, we're sharing bed tracks and, you know, hear a little bit of Ian's acoustic on one of the songs or something. If I need a little bit more to experiment with vocally, I'd ask for, you know, have you done uh, such and such on that song yet? Can you send me those so I can hear a bit more of the approach? Um, but it really was a matter of each guy really just looking at his, looking at the vocals. How can I, you know, do the same melody sort of the song cannot lose its integrity that's the most important part um it was tough for everybody i think the the lion's share of of, of difficulty in terms of reimagining reinterpreting your part was for ian because a lot of i mean he's he's a remarkable guitar player and suddenly he's playing these things that like tired world for example when it was first suggested to do tired world i thought <laughs> We can't pull that off in this setting. There's no way. You won't, how can we reach that intensity? I heard his, 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 I mean, the back half of the song with him winding out on acoustic guitar. And I'm like, it's almost more energy than on the electric version. There's some, there's, there's this tension. There's this, this angst about it. And it's, and I think if you ask most guitar players, they'll say it's much harder to play those kinds of runs and that kind of like, like soloing basically uh, on an acoustic guitar as opposed to on electric. 
Um, but I was like just completely blown away. But I, I, that had to be really, really hard for Ian to, to you know, reinterpret his parts all on acoustic. But like I say, I mean, overall, it was challenging as hell for everyone. Um, but but the the finished product, I, I when it, I finally listened to the whole thing back to back uh, from beginning to end, mastered, slapped the headphones on, and and I was, I mean. Again, very, very fussy about what we do, uh, what I do, what, what the guys do. Uh, overall, as a band, we're, we're very particular about the way we sound and the way we come across. And I was extremely pleased with the with the outcome and uh, and the mastering. It just, it's a very, very, we're very, very proud of that record. I'm, I'm extremely proud of the record. And even though it's not technically new material, it is in a sense because we've had to reinvent ourselves and almost more difficult than coming up with something original because like i said you have to keep the integrity of the song but make it sound fresh and uh a lot of fun to make no yeah i i thought that if anything like especially with a song like always there from house of cards i felt like song like that the the emotion that you displayed originally on the original track in 2001 was I felt even more heartfelt and even more sincere if it wasn't sincere and heartfelt enough the first time. I agree, around. yeah. Somehow because it's, it's suddenly more, it's a lot more personal. It's a lot more under mm-hmm. the microscope and it's basic. It's right there. And it's and a lyric like that really comes across more, I think, like you said, in, in that kind of setting. Yeah. So moving forward now, you've hinted at that there will be a, a swan song of sorts, a swan song album, something like a world's apart too. Are you already formulating ideas gearing towards what that record could be or could as far as the songs that you would like to have on there? No, okay. I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. I know they're going to be great. <laughs> One of them might be this song I've been working on for 10 years. I don't know. No, I, I just know that. See, before we did World Surprise, I didn't we didn't know what kind of record we were going to make. We just came up with some songs and we were in a really good headspace. And that's the key, I think. Um, not just rushing to do a record because it's time to do a record and contractually you owe a record or something like that. When we're ready to do one and we're all five in the right frame of mind, that's the time to go, you know what? I think it's about time we made that that new record, whether it be the last or not. I'm not saying it would be the swan song, but, but if it is, I want it to be strong anyway, but I would go into that record thinking that it could well be. You want every uh, record to be as strong as possible, but I think in the back of my mind, I think the other guys as well, we're going to have this feeling like let's not go out with a bang, but you know what I mean. I, I don't want to fade out into the sunset. That's not. I will never do that. I will never accept that. I will not. Um, I think you should always. Uh, band should always stop if they're going to stop uh, at the at the height of their game. There's there's no reason. Um, I, there could be a financial reason sometimes behind it, but I, I think that's a shame. I think there's other ways to compensate for the financial. If you're at the top of your game and it feels right and it's been a while and it's and it's just it's the right time, that's the time to do it. And don't just keep flogging. It's not a matter of flogging a dead horse, but just you know going out there and, and becoming a, a nostalgia band or that kind of thing. I never want that to happen to us. And I don't think we will allow that to happen. Um, right now, we are at the top of our game. I'm not hinting that, 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 that that's anything final is coming, but that's the, that, you know, as long as you are, you keep plowing forward. And, and, and if the creative thing is still there and you still feel the vibe, absolutely by all means, you know, and, you, and if you're playing well, and you will be if you're all feeling good with each other and life and that, your, your shows and your, your performances are always going to be top notch because you always bring, you know, a thousand percent of the stage anyway. Should that start to wane? Um, 
yeah, that's the data. You know, I, I, I'll tell you what, if you go back to the question of, of uh, when I get asked, do you still get nervous before a show? Yes, I still have this, these butterflies, and this, especially the size of it's a really big show of that. But even the intimate ones, walking on stage, I never know what's going to happen. So I, I'm, I'm, I get this, 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 you know, case of nerves. I'm not nervous per se, but, you know, this anticipation. If that goes away, and I don't feel that before I go on stage, then it just turned into a job. It means I'm just going through the motions. I don't care where I am. I'm just going to go up and sing the songs that are in the set list. I will say hello once in a while. I may or may not interact with the audience, but it doesn't matter to me anymore. Or I'd be nervous. And if I'm not nervous and I'm just going out there and doing that, no, that's that's. I, I don't think that's fair to me. I don't think it's fair to the audience. I don't think it's fair to anybody. You're, if you're just going through the motions and it becomes a cash cow, I, I never want that to happen. Yeah, and I think that's... And, 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 and there's ways to prevent that. You can see it coming. You know, and just go. You know what? I think we're almost. Let's just let's just take a pause here because we're we're. Why you stop now? You're at the top of your game. That's why. I want. I want. If that's going to happen, I want it to be a really, really strong memory in people's minds. Not. Oh, they used to be great. Oh, isn't that cool? I remember when they used to play this song. Yeah, he used to do this. I don't want that. We we don't deserve that. And the audience doesn't deserve that kind of memory. I don't think. I think your fans, including myself, see right right through that. They they feel and they believe that of course. You're, you're always giving um, a thousand percent into everything and, and, and anything yeah. that you do. And so. because of that, and because of that, they will feel the difference and they'll notice it. And, and it's, I don't want that to happen. I think uh, that I think that would be sad. Yeah. I, I always said I think you should stop. You know, no one to leave the party. And I think like a band such as Rush, who didn't even call out a farewell tour, but gave a great final you know, tour and left the building with their oh, yeah. integrity intact. Oh, yeah. Oh, says a lot about those guys. 100%. 100%. Yeah. They did yeah. it right. So um, not to get too into this, because I know it's still a, a, a long ways away, but the would you be open to as far as like a producer that maybe you haven't worked with or maybe someone from the past that you hadn't worked with in a while, someone such as a Steven Taylor who help mix and engineer worlds apart and heads or tails who's still that's, active. That's, that's an interesting thought. You know, that could be almost like a co-produced thing. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I, I haven't really thought down the road about, about uh, who may or may not be involved with the new record, but um, I certainly wouldn't dismiss the idea. I think it might be a good idea to involve someone else at this point, just to, you know, um, someone that, that, you know, has a good track record. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be have been doing prog or necessarily been doing any particular genre. They're just if I like the kinds of records that they have worked on and the, the sound of the kind of records the person's worked on, uh, maybe you, you never know. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's not something where we sit and go. You know, I think for the the next one, we really should have a producer again. Uh, someone just tells us what to do or has ideas and. You know, or, or go, no, nah, we don't need a producer anymore because we know exactly what to do. Yeah, you know, it's something to be said for after four and a half decades of doing things our way. And you know, for the most part, it's, it might be good to have uh, someone like a new, not a new Rupert Hunt, but what happened with Rupert when he came in. And they can notice things slightly differently that, that we either got um, not complacent with, but we got really used to doing things a certain way. Um, and I don't think we're, we're so inflexible that we wouldn't be open to fresh ideas unless we thought they were like, you know, that, that's, that's not for us. Nice idea, but not for us. 
Um, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be object to at least hearing, you know, sitting down with someone and going, what, you know, what would you bring to, you know, what, what do you get from the, do you, do you like the band? Uh, you know, how much do you like the band? How much would you like it to sound a bit more like this or this? Do you have any ideas? Yeah. You know, I'd be open to, to at least have the discussions. You know. And well, I, I'm a huge fan of your solo record, Clear. Will there be a follow-up to that at some point? Because 100%, 100%. I, I love that record to this point. 100%. I mean, like I, I was kind of hinting at it earlier, this this one song that I'm working on that that I'm I'm, I'm having conflict with, with the, uh, you know, offer it to Saga or keep it to myself. It would be very much at home on either either the new saga or clear too and and anything that i'm writing personally right now is in the direction of it's going to be a follow-up to clear because my next one will be i'd love to think that it would be a trilogy it's like clear happened before the crash and the alcohol um the final track clear is is about you know finally getting the the, the demon uh, you know off my back um the follow-up should be the to me um now living in the real world again as it were um it's not easy at first it's not easy there's uh you know after 20 years it's a lot a lot easier to take but um it's a battle and you have to learn how to you're you have new parameters you have uh, you know a whole different way of looking at life suddenly um and you've got to be a lot more responsible you, you know uh so it's 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 tricky and it's tough and I, that's like the aftermath and then the third would be dealing with the future and how you're going to move forward now that you're in this new state of mind. So that's the way I'm kind of looking at it. But yeah, at least part two. Uh, I don't know, maybe when I come up with the lyrics, I hope we just need part two. I'm not sure, but uh, that's the idea right now. Anything I write that I don't think is going to be uh, for saga specific, I'm shelving for and for working on clear. I'd like to have like 15 or 20 songs to choose from. Wonderful news. And just uh, wrapping up here, is there a particular album that you've worked on that you've been a part of in your career that you feel your fans deserve to maybe reassess or listen to again, something, a highlight from you for you outside of behavior, of course, that for you maybe deserves a, some, a reassessment. Saga record. Yeah. It could be a saga record. Absolutely. Um, um, I think generation 13 needs, needs, needs a closer listen by, by a lot of people. Um, it, see, concept records scare people out. Just the idea of it being a concept record. There's a lot of great standalone songs on that album. There's two or three that we play live. Uh, Learning Tree we do live. Great song live. Uh, the Cross we've done many times live. Um, that's one that I think people would would uh, would. It, 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 it's worth another listen for those who kind of listen. To it. Eh, it's a conceptual thing. Eh. Try listening to it with a different frame of mind and just hear it with fresh ears. It might make a difference, especially with the remasters, which sound phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think of all of them, it's, it's it's worth it. I wouldn't I wouldn't dive too far back to like the first three albums. It's it's you know as as proud of it as I am of, of the first three albums and and it was the beginning of the whole thing. I listened to it sonically and like it's not quite indicative of, of where we ended up, but uh, for 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 fun, it's you know. Um, in terms of, yeah, I would say Generation 13 of all of them. Um, the Victim is another great one, I think, on that one. That's very tuneful. Yes. I think that yes. could have been a, a single, even. I, I think agree. it's got a great melody. I agree. And, uh, I mean, this is a beautiful um, orchestral piece at the end, I'll Never Be Like You, which is basically just vocal and orchestra, which I'm very, very proud of. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. But I would, I mean... Ultimately, I'd like to see Generation 13 turned into a stage production, like a multimedia stage production with the cast of characters and, and you know coming to life and that kind of thing. 
I, I just think it deserves that. Uh, I think if seen in that setting, people will really get it and understand it more and go, oh, I see. Oh, cool. But I think it needs that visual and that that kind of presentation. And of course, with an orchestra, absolutely no question about it. Yeah, it's an incredibly symphonic listen. It's mm-hmm. something that it's probably the first Saga album that I checked out that kind of put me stopped me in my tracks. I said, this is going to be a much deeper listen than a so- than your usual saga affair. But yeah, yeah. I loved it nonetheless. And it takes a couple of listens yourself. Yes, but does. once it clicks, you're yeah. you're stuck with it for life, in my opinion. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to, it's, it's a state of mind and a mood you have to be in to listen to it, you know, uh, back to back, from front to back. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's worth a listen for those who kind of not not just kind of skipped by it and went, oh, that's nice. And he listened to like drop the needle in three or four places and go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't like concept records. Get that out of your head and just listen to it as an album. Yeah, and you and you're gonna be going on a tour tomorrow, I believe, correct? You're you're flying heading over. Yeah. Flying over tomorrow to uh to Germany again. Um it's is the uh Night to Remember Tour part two. We're doing it in three sections. Uh, the third section being in starting in October, but uh, leaving tomorrow for exactly 18 days. I think we're doing 11 shows. I, I hope to catch you uh, whenever you do tour, if you end up touring Puerto Rico again, because that's probably the only opportunity I would have to really see the band, which I have yet to see. But it'll be that'll be a night to remember for me. So uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait. It's a good place to see the band for sure. Yeah. And again, for those that don't know, like the other huge portion of your fan base is derived from Puerto Rico. It was crazy. It was, it was crazy in the beginning. Um, you know, you, you release an album and you cross your fingers and you hope people are going to like it. And you don't know where you're going to take off if you do. And Germany and Puerto Rico, uh, polar opposites culturally, musically. I can't explain that. The only thing I can say is perhaps the, <clears throat> orchestral and epic side of the band appeal to the the, the classical like genes in Europe and, and what they've been exposed to for hundreds of years and the rhythmic side of the band appealing to the sort of Latin community and the, and the sort of salsa and that kind of thing. Maybe that blend explains why the, the Germans and the Puerto Ricans enjoyed this music at the same time. I mean, one of the biggest songs in Puerto Rico was uh, The Perfectionist, which is a waltz. And it's just an out and out three, four waltz. I'm like, really? You know. But on the other hand, Humble Sands is huge there. And it's got that, you know, that bopping kind of sound. And, and the band will be releasing um, the, the reissue series from Era Music, which again, uh, sounds phenomenal. I mean, Beginner's Guide never sounded any better. And um, yeah. While the stream sounds fantastic as well, yeah. more yeah. than ever. So yeah. I love these reissues. I think that yeah. they're the, the last. The last two are just are the the most recent two that have come out. I believe for Trust and um, uh, House of Cards. So okay, great. I'm looking forward to getting Ten Thousand Days. Uh, that one's been out of print for a while, so I would yeah. love to. Yeah. What that sounds like. And lastly, Michael, if one last question for you, I promise. How do you preserve your voice? I mean, I think everybody, it's on everybody's frame of mind. Every time you put out a new record, every time you tour, it seems to me like your voice has remained intact. It always sounds better than ever before. How and why? What is the magic? I, I, you know what? I Each time I get asked that question, it's like, sorry to disappoint you. Because everyone's always waiting for some kind of answer, like concrete answer. Your truth of the matter, uh, A, I'm really lucky. B, I learned how to sing properly when I was young, I guess. 
I, I thank God I'm, I'm blessed with it. I know that in the meantime, I, I, take, I do not take it for granted. I have nothing that I do short of trying to eat properly, exercise when I can, nothing, you know, just, just try and stay as fit as possible, uh, as, as clean a lifestyle as humanly possible. Um, I stopped drinking 20 years ago. That might have something to do with it, the physicality of the throat. Um, I don't warm up before a show. I never have. I don't do scales. I don't drink warm tea with honey in it. I don't, I have no regimen. Uh, we show up at sound checks. Sometimes we do a five minute sound check and then we'll have supper. And then it's like, get your stage clothes on. About 10 minutes before I might cough and then <laughs> walk on stage. I don't have the, I don't, I don't have a, I wish I had a more glamorous, uh, secretive, revealing answer, but I don't, I'm just extremely lucky and, uh, I, I hope it lasts for a lot longer. I hear all these stories about singers screaming into pillows and, and doing all these, you know, and, and then you just go out there. I heard Ronnie, just, James, Ronnie James Dio would do the same thing, apparently. He would just go out there and just belt it out. Start singing. I mean, the, the funniest thing, just real quick, the funny story having to do with warming up and singers. Um, I can't remember the name of the band. We were in, on tour in the States. This is in the 80s. We were uh, touring Worlds Apart, I believe. We we're just doing one tour after another. We, you know, we do Billy Square and Jethro Tull, Pat Benatar, and we just jump from tour to tour. We found ourselves in a an arena. Some I want to say North Carolina, someplace like that. Um, typical, the dressing rooms are the locker rooms, basically, and there was a three act bill: uh, someone before us, then ourselves, and then whoever the main act was. And um, in the the room next to us, the locker room next to us, the dressing room next to us was the uh, the first support. And they were getting ready to go on. The singer uh, started doing his scales, and someone said, "Hey, Michael, check it out." I was like, and I listen. He's doing all the la 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 la, and he's making all these sounds and all this. And I'm like, I thought to myself, "Whoa, you know, this guy's serious. I got to check him out." He does this. He works out, you know, like 10, 15 minutes at this really solid vocal workout. They go to go on stage, and I kind of followed behind because I stood at the side of the stage to check it out. First song started, and he walked up to the microphone and just started screaming like. Not, why did you warm up? <laughs> what was the point of all that? In the, but, you know, I guess to each his own. Maybe he needs that to be able to deliver that kind of, of raspy voice. I don't know. Whatever it was, it, it seemed to work for him, but it just it, it just seems so odd to me. Go figure, these, right? These, these operatic warm-ups. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I just, I'm lucky. You got my fingers crossed that, it, that, that I've still got some years left in me. So, Michael, I uh, again, oh, one last thing. Happy belated birthday. Uh, Thank you very It was much. your birthday yesterday. It was. Really. It was. Yeah. Um, very, very, very low key, very low key and chill and exactly what I needed before going into that crazy world of touring again. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to the future as always, looking forward to what's next in the world of Saga, which is always a, a safe place to be in. I think it always feels like uh, almost like a home away from home. I feel like I can actually like breathe a lot better, Very feel a lot fun. stronger listening to your music, a lot right. more motivated. And I think that's what we need nowadays. And uh, so I really appreciate you. Thank you for I, taking I, the time. I'm glad we can. De- I'm glad we can deliver that. So, so thank you for taking the time to do this too. I mean, you, you don't have to do this. I know you don't have to, and it means the world to me nonetheless. And I really appreciate you taking all this time to go through your career. Thank you. My my pleasure, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think we need more platforms, more talk platforms for music. And I'm grassroots here. I think we need 
filters so people know, hey, yes. th- this guy's got good taste or this person has good taste. We should yeah. check out whatever they're into. So grassroots here, it's only about a year and a half now at Sonic Doors, but with you and you again, credibility here, you are someone incredibly credible. Well, I'll, t- so. I'll tell you what. Well, also, I'll tell you what. I mean, in, in, there's interviews and then there's conversations, and conversations I find, or interviews that that feel more like conversations, tend to be more revealing in terms of um, opinions. And you see, I sometimes don't know how I feel about things until I start talking about them, like truly, because I've never either been asked that question or never or, or never been asked that kind of thing from that direction. Uh, so I find that it, it's a much more constructive and interesting interview when it feels more like a conversation like today with yourself. And anytime that happens, I think it's 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 better listening and more interesting for the for the listeners. Again, thank you so much. Uh, you truly are a humble spirit and, and honestly just the best. So thank you again for doing this and uh, hope we can do this again sometime down the road. Just let me know. I'll be right here. All right. Mr. Michael Sadler here of Saga. Got to check them out. They're one of the greatest, one of the most underappreciated super groups, in my opinion, of all time. So um, all the best to you. And until next time, Michael. Thank you, sir.